Okay, so, yeah, thanks, Adam. I, um, I, love, I love this definition of worship. Worship being a response of the heart to the goodness of God. Um, and I'm so thankful that um, this is something that's so meaningful for, for Adam and, and for myself as well. Um, we're going to be talking about this kind of, because it, it really relates to everything that uh, we'll be talking about in the next few weeks, declaring his excellencies, as well as talking about what exactly is a church. And so I'm just going to lay up a framework. I sent this to Adam in a text message a few days ago. Uh, just kind of, um, and a lot of this comes from Acts chapter 2, when we think about what is the church, what is the church doing. Um, and so when I think about being gathered for worship, I kind of visualize it in a few different ways, but one of the ways is we're gathered to worship him in the word, okay? In the ministry of the word, it says in Acts chapter 2 that they were gathered together devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. So this means we're going to be sitting together under God's word in church. Um, the other way is, is we're in... in uh, In word and in sacrament, okay? So when we say sacrament, we're talking about communion, like we just talked about. Taking the Lord's Supper, as well as baptism. Those are the two sacraments, or the two ordinances that the church holds to. And then, and then uh, we've got this other concept of generosity. So, in Acts chapter 2, we see the church... If anybody had any need, they were selling their things, they were caring for each other. But it was also, you think of all the different one another gifts, the gathering together, loving one another, and loving the outsider, loving the stranger, loving the, the orphan and the widow. Um, prayer, gathering for prayer is certainly something you see um, practiced. And then, like we're talking about today in specific, What does it mean to be singing? What <laughs> In Acts chapter 2, it, it says that they were praising God. What does it mean to be a worshiping community? And so anyway, this is kind of just how my brain works. I love mind maps, so um, the cement is always wet. I'm always adding things and taking them away. But um, what I want to do this morning is two things. First of all, I want to just kind of introduce myself a little bit as, as a, a person on a journey <laughs> that God has has um, brought me through a few things in life, and I think it will be helpful just in our community so that you guys kind of know who, who Dan Baber is and kind of the, the path God's had me on through these years. It will give you some, hopefully some grace for me as I'm leading us through in, in worship and, and equipping the saints here. Um, and then I want to just talk about through the three kind of uh, big picture paradigms as we think about what does it mean um, to have worship as it relates to what are kind of the standards that we're going to look for as we make decisions about what kind of songs we're going to sing, what kind of liturgies we're going to use, what kind of patterns we're going to establish. Because um, as we're building a culture, I was telling Adam this morning, you know, if, if we're building a culture here, um, every culture has patterns, every culture has um, uh traditions that demonstrate what we value and so I think it's pretty evident we want worship of the living God to be 
a central core value of what it means to be a church. And so, um, yeah, so I'll just share a little bit about where I came from. Uh, my parents um, met each other in Great Falls, Montana. They were two, they were in their t- early 20s, and both of them came to Christ in the same kind of young people's community at, the, at around the same time. Uh, my mom came from like a, a Lutheran background. My dad, uh, on a kind of loosely connected to like a Southern Baptist, he was from the South when he was a young child, they escaped an abusive kind of household or abusive father and moved to Montana. And so um, that was kind of their loose backgrounds, but they really had a, became born again. And that was kind of the phrase in the 1970s, right? Born again, uh, they, you know, I think they went out to the Oregon coast for Jesus, Jesus, some Jesus people stuff, some hippie loving Jesus stuff. I don't know. Um, and that's where they came. <laughs> Seriously, it was, it was a a tumultuous, tumultuous time. It'd be interesting to see what this movie is about. It sounds like about that. That's how they came to. So they loved Jesus, and they were part of a, a pretty Pentecostal, charismatic community uh, church that was in, um, in in Great Falls. And so I grew up listening to, you know, I I, I didn't. I brought a few artifacts with me. I don't have the the. Uh, <laughs> I don't have the. Uh, I remember looking at, my, my parents had record, a record player. I remember looking at the record several times as a little kid, and one of them was, you know, Keith Green or Second Chapter of Acts or some of these great, like, pretty, pretty cutting-edge Christian worship, you know, Amy Grant and all these stuff that, that were coming out. Um, and so, yeah, that's kind of what I grew up listening to. Uh, Maranatha was, was so cutting-edge, you know, and, you know, they would play a worship song and it would like morph into another worship song and that was just like mind-blowing back then and um and then when I was about eight years old we moved out to Portland my parents loved brother Andrew who was this bible smuggler and and they thought oh maybe God wants my dad got laid off the fire department it's like well maybe maybe this is our opportunity to become bible smugglers in China and so they went to Multnomah Bible College in Portland Oregon and uh that was a real um, transitional time for me. I, you know, uh, got a lot more exposure to different kinds of um, church traditions there. We wound up being at a, a, a Bible church there. Um, the worship leader there at Central Bible Church at the time, I think he was attending Multnomah, but he, his name was Michael Ledner, and he was a, um, a Messianic Jew uh, personally, and he was an amazing songwriter and singer, and he was the one that wrote that song, You Are My Hiding Place. You are my hiding place. So that was kind of neat to kind of have him be the worship leader there for a while, which apparently was one of the Maranatha songs as well. And uh, my mom and dad, they just loved to sing. My dad was always playing guitar at home, leading, leading small groups in worship or occasionally there. Um, so, and they just loved singing together. My mom and my dad, they harmonized really well. And so I just grew up around music quite a lot. And I enjoyed singing as well. Um, we moved back to Montana when I was about 13. And I... I, I got into choir singing. I really loved singing. Um, in high, uh, started in eighth grade and found out I was okay at it and did some, you know, all-state choirs and did solos at state and just kind of like really got in, had some great choir teachers as well. So that whole musicality piece started developing in me as well, um, as well as uh, starting to play the car, guitar at 14. My dad had a guitar. There was like a really great, like, I took a guitar class, at, I think, as a freshman at high school, and the teacher didn't really know much, but there was a, like a kind of a stoner guy who was really amazing on guitar, and he was in that class, and so he like taught me some stuff, and, and uh, 
<laughs> you know, some, uh, some Grateful Dead and all, no. Uh, and so, right, exactly. Um, there was a Bible camp that was pretty instrumental in my life in Portland, Oregon, um, called uh, Trout Creek Bible Camp. And so I, at age 16, went out there to serve on staff. And that was where I really got to get practice um, playing guitar in front of people. Um, because it was great, because it was so noisy and loud, and the quality didn't really matter as much as the noise. And so you could get up there, and I could follow some, some other guys playing guitar, whether at Fireside at night, and there's no amplification. It's just very acoustic or on chapel. And so I got to learn all the crazy, silly camp songs and had a lot of good fun there. Um, and I got to have you know practice leading as well. Um, helped with youth groups, and then went off to Bible College over in... in um, um, uh, Michigan and was a part of the Bible college worship team there and got that was really got where God started like started really like I don't know stuff started clicking for me a little bit more there was a, a teacher there that I really had kind of a mentoring relationship with and we were going through at this time he introduced me to uh, John Piper I was starting to read and listen to him and this book Desiring God at that point in my life was pretty hugely significant and listening to a lot of John Piper's um, preaching, um, as I was considering, what does God want me to do? What does God want me to do in life? I want to serve Him. I, I knew, I knew I wanted to serve the Lord. Um, that's why I went to a Bible college. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I loved working at camp, working with kids. It was wonderful. But I also really loved music. And I was like, okay, does God want me to be a, a youth pastor, or a worship leader, or a missionary? It was like, I wasn't sure which one exactly. And and you know, uh, at the end of my two years there, um, we had been reading a lot of Piper, and he has a book actually that's also very instrumental in my life called "Let the Nations Be Glad," which is basically he just goes from Genesis to to Revelation and highlights all the Bible verses that talk about how God's plan is for the the peoples, the nations, to come to Christ. Um, and one of the phrase in that book that really stood out for me was like. Um, the reason that missions exist, reaching these, not, these, these unreached people groups, the reason missions exists is because worship <coughs> doesn't exist yet among these people groups. So the, the motivation for our missions is actually worship. We want to see God receive the worship and praise and honor and glory that he's worthy of among all the peoples. And so connecting the dots there, seeing worship and missions as not contrary or competitive, but that's actually a driving goal in, in, in my sense of call to go overseas. It's like, wow, there's these people that God purchased for himself with the, the blood of his own son, um, and, and, and they just need to be, go, you know, they need to have an opportunity to know uh, this God that saved them so that they can praise him. So that was pretty Im impactful in my life. Um, so I went from Bible college there. I knew God was calling me overseas, and I just didn't really have a home church. We had moved around quite a lot. Um, and so I went back to Portland to live at the intern house at Central Bible Church there, uh, where I had been when my dad was at Multnomah. It's right next to Multnomah Bible College. It used to be. It's not there anymore. Um, and that's where I became an intern there at the church. I was their college and career ministry intern, so I would teach Sunday school for the college uh, the young people, you know, 18 to 26 year olds um, uh, in the mornings on Sunday. And then they had this neat skateboarding ministry that was reaching all these 
punk skateboarders in Portland, inner city Portland. They had a big skate park, skate ramp enclosed. And a lot of these young people had actually come to Christ through that ministry. And yet, when they went, they were trying to get these, 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 these skaters involved in the church, the church life. The church was, was established in the 1950s. And it was a very, very older church and very established church culture and tradition and music that was very, very different, <laughs> to say the least, from punk skateboard culture. And, and for them to walk into that environment was very strange and odd. It was a cross-cultural experience for them. And so I was working with some of the skate staff there and thinking through how can we help we, we know church is the plan for these people, not just this parachurch organization, but really they need to be brought into the church. But how could we facilitate the cultural shift there? So we did a Sunday evening service that was kind of tailored for this culture. And so it was darker lights. It was kind of, we had electric guitars, we had drums, which were kind of scandalous for the Sunday morning <laughs> deal and, and different music. I mean, the music, we weren't, we were doing, we did hymns actually, but they were just, very stylistically different and a little bit more catered towards something like that yeah <laughs> something so so that was all kind of new and exciting and a lot of stuff was happening around that time it was around the year 2000 2001 um, so I learned a lot I led the worship team in that for a couple of years and um, that was at the point in which I met Kara and we up and left the country so that marks another shift in going overseas. I don't want to take too much time here, golly. Um, going overseas was another kind of culture shock for us as we get immersed not only in a, a, a totally godless culture, but then there's this subset of other expatriates there from all over the world, English speaking, a lot of them, and we're thrust into mission teams or mission fellowships that meet, because it's a communist country, we're not typically going to the the national churches on Sundays, we're, we're, we're having our local uh, missionary gathering, essentially. And we didn't call it church, we called it fellowship, because... Was, yes? Was that the underground Christian church? Uh, the, well, n no, it wasn't necessarily underground. We were kind of secretive, but yeah, it was, it was, we were careful, we were careful, yeah. I have a missionary friend that came back to the States maybe three years ago. Okay. Okay. Yeah, well, we, we definitely have connections with those who are, you know, in the church. But it's, it's not totally secret. The, the government is aware that they're meeting. So, yeah, yeah. Um, as, as, as foreigners, though, man, we, we found ourselves, I was, we were on a missionary team. And this is where another artifact here. Um, you know, we, we would gather, you know, on Sundays just in the, in the, we would rotate houses. But we had like a kind of a, a little song book and everyone would donate the songs that they would like to be in it and someone put it all together and that way on Sundays when we gathered we had this kind of book we could go to and whoever was in charge we just kind of rotate who's in charge of choosing the songs and um, it was really really sweet and really really special because you know we had multi-generational multicultural people from all over you know people from Vietnam people from Holland and, and, and Great Britain and Canada and, and a, a lot I don't know if you guys realize, there's a lot of worship songs out there. There's a lot of praise songs out there. In fact, I just, uh, Greg, uh, Greg Geekins, there's like 100 million songs 
in uh, the, the contemporary Christian license company that basically tracks these things so that there can be some sort of remuneration. No, I'm sorry, 100,000. 100,000. Which is still a lot. 100,000, and there's 300,000 on, on, on song select, possible. So all that to say, we got exposed to a lot of these songs that I had never heard before, you know, very old songs, very different choruses, and it's, it's, I love it. Uh, to me, that's exciting. That's really neat. It can be exhausting, though. It's like, wow, there's so much out there. But there's, you know, there's gold to be mined in some of these places. And so um, that was something that was quite powerful for us. And then, and then when we were in Thailand, if you guys want to see this, when I, I was on a team there for about two and a half years, and this team was led not by English speakers or Westerners. It was actually led by local Thai believers, um, but it had been founded with a, a, an American missionary who had been kicked out of China. He came there and he helped develop this team. But it wasn't just with Thai ethnic group, it was with Lahu ethnic group, which are Thai citizens, but they have their own unique language and unique culture and unique songs. Fascinatingly, the Lahu and many, some, of, some other people groups, um, missionaries came two or three generations ago and they taught them how to sing four-part harmonies. And they love it, and they sound awesome. They, I mean, I don't know if you've heard some of these choirs from Africa when they're singing four-part harmonies. It's just like, that's the kind of stuff that they can do. And, it's, and to them, you, you, there's this whole field of ethnomusicology where you're trying to help both translate the scriptures into the heart language of the people, but you're also trying to help them develop heart language music, heart-level music that actually speaks to their unique culture. Um, but if you talk to them, they're like, yeah, that's our music. That's ours. But they're like, no, it's not. It came from the Westerners. Like, no, that's ours. It's like, it's funny how we can have these kind of ideals. Like, you know, things change. Things change over time, which is pretty fascinating. Anyhow, what I love about this book is uh, my teammates, one of my, our team put it together. They'll be, in theory, some of these songs have four different languages of the same song. So uh, we would get together every morning at, at we would always start at 8 a.m. and go till about 9, and it would always start with praise. So we start with the question, we go around, uh, did, you, did you eat rice yet or not? That's how you would greet each other, typically. Um, Does that kind of mean, like, did you have a good morning? It just means, that, how are you doing? Yeah, okay. Uh, and have you had your coffee yet? Exactly. <laughs> well, we had our unique kind of team, t- team signature questions, like, how many times did you eat? Basically saying, did you feed both your, your body or, and did you feed your soul? And what did you feed your soul with? And so it would be kind of just an opportunity to kind of share what's God teaching you? What are you hearing? Um, and then we would go into a time of praise. And so one person would be asked to sing, you know, lead two or three songs. And so we have Thai language here. This is Lahu language. We have Chinese language because one, the, the main team leader, he was half Lahu and half Chinese and fluent in both languages. And then sometimes we'd have Chinese come join and then English. So um, this is pretty pretty neat book. I, I love coming, looking at this. Um, and so the whole another range of saying, wow, there's, and that's, that, and that kind of leads into some of the, uh, the challenges as we think about worshiping in song because these, these judgment calls, um, as we look at what is, let's go ahead and move on to that, my notes there. Um, you just have three terms there. You have good, true, and beautiful. Um, oh, yes. <laughs> We are singing in English. <laughs> uh, right. Um, 
Because the question is, by what standard? By what standard do we know something is a good song, right? And to a degree, every culture has its vision of what is good music. <laughs> and, and so, uh, but beyond just stylistically, like, we, we want good music because God is a good God, right? He is, uh, he's a holy God, and he's worthy of our worship. And so we want worship that reflects his goodness, whatever that would be. Um, we, want, uh, we want our lives to be reflecting his goodness as well as our words. And so um, ultimately, we hope that the, the, the formation of our lives as we reflect and as we respond to the good God will be that our lives grow from one degree of glory to another degree of glory in, in our virtue as well. So this goodness speaks to God's virtue, his, his holiness, and our lives as we reflect his holiness, hopefully our lives of worship as well. Um, ideally, our, our, our songs, the team that will be up front, will be led by people who are gifted and godly people. Um, not perfect, obviously, but there's going to, you know, we, we would really hope the people up front would be exemplary, at, you know, for, for others to follow their, their manner of life as well. Um, when I think of good, I think of a, a good, good worship time and song is going to be focused on people encountering um, the Holy God through Christ. And so there's, a, there's, there's deep connections to both prayer and celebrating the Lord's Supper. Because as we come to the Lord's Supper, we're repenting of our sins. We're expressing faith in, in Christ to God. Um, another aspect of good worship and music will be um, it's accessible. It's something we can actually sing, hopefully. Uh, something that um, uh, is, 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 is versatile, like it's, it's not too complex, hopefully, for the majority of people. Um, I would love to see it reproducible. So something that we sing on Sunday perhaps could be something that could be led at a small group level as well. Could be led uh, at a, at a, if, if a you know, family's trying to just do family worship at the end of the day, they can have some, some similar songs that they're able to, to reproduce with their kids. Um, so that's, those are the kind of things I think of when I think of good worship in song. Um, secondly, we want it to be true, right? We want songs that are deeply connected to the truth of God's word. So we read even in the New Testament, we're, we're commanded to sing so, um, psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Okay, that's deeply connected to even just the book of Psalms. And there are some church traditions that that's all they sing. They only sing uh, the corpus of, uh, you know, Psalms 1 through 150, you know. And, and we don't hold that view here at this church, but we really, really want as much as possible our songs to be scriptural because they're, they're going to be memorable, hopefully. Um, we're going to be aiming for right and accurate thinking and feeling regarding both ourselves and our relationship to God. Um, and, you know, it's easy to become cynical sometimes because we saw, see a lot of modern songs that really do seem to be a lot more subjective and a lot more about me, myself, and I, kind of reflecting the narcissistic realities of our culture. And I feel that at times when I hear certain songs. At the same time, I think Pastor or, or Greg Deacon has, has really highlighted, if you read the Psalms, there's a lot of I and me if you read the Psalms. And so, you know, holding that balance, hopefully in, in, in good tension, where there is me, 
I am involved, and actually true worship will be me asking God to help me have an accurate and true view of who I am in my sinful condition and also who I am in Christ and the truth of what the gospel means for me now that I'm in Christ. So um, I think that's something we're going to try and hold in intention. Um, yeah, again, like I said about being accessible, I, it would be great if the majority of people in the room can actually sing the song vocally. <laughs> and that, and that, that takes some observation, trying to figure out, okay, what are the, kind of the ranges that work well for most people? What are the kind of words that work well for most people, vocabulary and things like that? Um, okay, so I'm moving from, I've talked about good, true, uh, honest, and then, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm now in beautiful. I had the order a little bit differently. So, yeah, we want congregational singing, like, like Lisa was saying. Like this, uh, the people sitting in, in, in the pews or in the, in, the, in the congregation are not the audience. <laughs> Jesus is the audience. The people on the stage are helping lead the congregation to sing to Jesus. <laughs> and, and we're not going to hopefully make that confusing for people. I, it needs to be very clear who the audience is. And it's not just a bunch of people standing around listening. Yes. Yeah. So mm-hmm. growing up in my church, there was a lot of special music. You know, so like quartets yes. or violin yeah. soloist or whatever. How do you think that came into the church? And sometimes it, it felt like a concert where you were the one watching, but sometimes it was as if they were leading people in worship. And then I went back out to Virginia where it's more the Bible Belt and there was special music at Emily's church. And I hadn't seen that for 20 years, maybe. Um, and it was just a little awkward. It was a great worship song and like good lyrics and stuff. But how did that come into the church? Why did the church think it was valuable to have special music? That and is, yeah. Why have we rejected it now? That is a great question. And I have actually asked the same question, but I've not taken the time to okay. figure it out. Because that's kind of, I think, my parents to this day, I think that is a part of their normal liturgy to have a person do a special number for everyone to enjoy. And now, now granted, I mean, we listen to music a lot more now than maybe our ancestors or previous generations had the option to just listen. Because there's, I don't know about you guys, but I've listened to music and just been hugely touched by that, you know. And maybe now that we have the option to listen, just click the button on Spotify, that need to have someone up there singing to us, I don't know. I, I feel very similarly that that seems strange to me now. Um, yes, yeah. I don't know. I, <laughs> I remember back in the 60s and 70s, after service, the youth that I was part of it okay. would always be around who was playing the guitar, who was playing the piano, and we would stay there for, you know, like 45 minutes or whatever, just singing after services, and I don't see that. Like, would you be singing with them, or would they just be singing to you? No, we'd all be singing together. Right, yeah. They'd be singing uh, songs that they had written, you know, yeah. or songs that they had heard okay. from the day, you know, like the Friends Music Group. Okay. Did you ever hear of them? They were really good. Yeah. That time. Well, that sounds great. I think that's a little different than the special music thing, where you have just one or two people, or a quartet, or oh, or even choirs, oh, actually. Oh, Oh, yeah. Um, I was just saying that 
Back then there was a gathering. Okay, uh, that sounds a little bit more kind of informal, kind of voluntary. Yeah. Like, hey, let's just let's just praise God for a while, and that's awesome. That's amazing. I I pray that would happen again. <laughs> that would be really really neat. And I think that was kind of I I love that about being out at the Bible campus because this is like. You don't have people to tell you it's time to go home. It's like, we're all sleeping here anyway. You know, we can just like <laughs> praise Jesus, tell, you know, tell our voices are hoarse. And we just like, yeah, there's something really, really powerful. Hey, guys, could you leave? <laughs> That's right. That's right. Man, I can't wait for heaven. It's going to be great. I can see special music being a way to introduce new songs to yeah. the Right. Because especially if it's a new song and you're not a very good singer, um, you can focus on making sure you hit the right notes more than actually what the words are. Mm. So that's mm-hmm. my thought on special music is it's more mm-hmm. of, okay, here's a song, yeah. and the congregation is more focused on what is the meaning behind that song. Yeah, because I don't know if you... can yeah. very easily twist into a performance-based thing. Yeah, because we've probably all experienced where someone's up there expecting us to join with them in the song, but we're like, I don't even know what this song says yet, <laughs> right? As I'm reading along with you, you know, you know so I can, I can definitely see that value. And maybe, you know, it could be a combination. It's like, hey, you know, stand, sit, whatever you want. We're, if you know the song, join along. If, if you've never heard the song, just let it soak in and, and reflect on the meaning of these words. Something along, along those lines maybe it could be. But yeah, however it's framed. I think it's weird when you clap for someone after a church song. To me, sounds, you know, seems a little bit more like a concert, you know. Um, I think we want to move away from that kind of... Because we do live in a culture that loves, you know, you know, America's Got Talent and all this stuff that can be so easily formative. Anyway, uh, probably a lot of stuff we can talk about there. Um, yeah, so I think culturally we want it to be delightful to the majority of people's ears, you know. Um, however, it also needs to be formative to where it's like, okay, these, it's possible to sing a song in a minor key and express lament. It doesn't always have to be a happy, clappy song, but it doesn't always have to be a dour, you know, uh, dirge. <laughs> like trying to get some variety in the emotional life of a Christian. I think there are some people who have been raised in, in environments where it's only okay to be smiley and be happy in your songs. Obviously, songs are often a way we express joy, but it can also be we, we're complex people living in a, a broken world where we experience sin and brokenness, and we cry out to God as we say, How long, O Lord? How long? Um, again, memorable. English language, even though we would love to have a multi-generational focus. I think, I think we would err to only focus on a, a narrow swath of the congregation, whether it's the youth, the you know, middle-aged, family people, or the elderly. We want to help us all sing together. And I think doing the Sunday evening service focused on the skaters, I think, was a little myopic, you know? We were zealous for something good because it was a need. And we had some godly older people that came along, and I know it physically hurt their ears to sit in the worship service. You know, but they didn't care because they loved Jesus and they loved these young people and they were going to persevere <laughs> through whatever I was doing up on the stage, you know, trying not to be, you know. Uh, that was a good example to me. It's like, who are we going to expect to be more mature in, 
in this situation because you know even going overseas I sat in some terrible musical uh, experiences in other cultures in my opinion you know I don't know if you've ever heard karaoke I mean sometimes that's what it felt like it was terrible you know off key off key um, there's some cultures where dissonant sounds like have you ever heard a cicada that's the sound to them that that sounds like beautiful music and to me I'm like wow that's something else you know like uh, 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 but those kind of dissonances sound beautiful to some people. It's like, so as we think about what's beautiful, we're going to try and, try and hit, hit a good sweet spot in that. Um, uh, and I will appreciate your feedback. You know, I'll, 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 I'll listen to it, and I will take it into account. Um, I like simplicity. Um, I like minimizing distractions, whatever it be, whether it's, I have a personal thing against moving video in the back of, of, of words up on a screen. It's like we have enough bells and whistles and distractions like as much as we can to keep the focus centered on the Lord Jesus Christ and, and the gospel. Right? I mean, how can the Holy Spirit, you know? And lasers. We need the, the glitter and the, yes, exactly, yeah. It's a thing, it's a thing, yeah. God have mercy. Um, it's the Shekinah glory, right? Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, and then, and then, just ultimately, we're going to have ordered worship. Okay. Uh, we are instructed in the New Testament that we need everything is to be done within its order. You know. And so, how do we craft that order every week? There's going to be rhythms. There's going to be traditions. There's going to be seasons. And that's beautiful because we do want this culture, we want this to reflect our good and ordered God. When he made the world, he made it in an ordered fashion, intentional. And yet we still want to be open to the Spirit directing and some flexibility. And so pray for us, or pray for us that we would get that discerning uh, ability from the Lord. And we do want to listen to what he, uh, the Spirit is, is saying to everyone. Um, okay, so we've talked about worship for a while. Um, it seemed fitting that maybe we could just close in, in a little time of worship. And this first song we're going to do, you have those little song books in front of you. Um, the first song is uh, right out of Revelation 5. Um, it's Revelation song is the name of it. I believe it's on, uh, I'm not sure what page. Yeah, go ahead and turn there. Yeah. Uh, yeah, let's stand together. This is from Revelation chapter 5, and it's the vision of the throne room where the question is raised, who, who is worthy to open up this, this, this scroll? And the scroll represents all of human history and, and all redemptive history. And no one was found, and then the Lamb, the Lamb of God who was slain before the foundation of the world was found. And, and then you hear this, this huge crescendo of worship with the elders and the creatures and the angels falling down and worshiping and saying, saying the song we're going to join in right now. And so as we sing this, that's this, it's interesting, the idea of a new song. 
is, is, in, is not introduced here, but it's repeated. It's in the Psalms. He says, sing to the Lord a new song. There's a reason we have so many new songs. It's because it kind of seems like it's something God wants is every generation, every culture to develop their own sense of how do we express our praise to God. So let's sing this song. And then um, across the page there, there's a, a new song I'll, I'll teach you all. It comes from the very end of Psalm 23. And it's just the final refrain, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of our life. And I'll just try to teach that little simple song to us. Lord God, we thank you that you've made a way. You've made a way for us to enter into the Holy of Holies, God, because of the blood of Jesus Christ. We were created to worship you. We were created to enjoy you, God. Lord, would you remove anything that's hindering our worship, God? And anything that's hindering our enjoyment of you today, God? Because that's what we were made for. We thank you for this time to reflect on your word, reflect on what is clear to be central to your heart, God. give you thanks and honor. So this song goes like this. I'll sing it through. It's pretty simple. It just goes like this. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me will follow me Surely goodness and mercy Follow me, will follow me, and I will dwell, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord. I will dwell in the house of the Lord. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And ever surely, goodness and mercy will follow me, follow me, surely, goodness and mercy. the house of the Lord. I will dwell in the house of the Lord. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever and